um, and we are thankful that he uh, took time out of his busy schedule and busy week to prep, to um, study, so that we can hear what um, and understand what God is saying through Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So, um, before he comes up, I want to pray for Tim. So, uh, Tim, as you come up, so let's pray for, for Tim. Father God, we just want to thank you tonight for this opportunity that we get to open your word. God, I want to pray for my brother in Christ tonight um, as he uh, prepares to, to talk on 1 Corinthians 11, a very tough and difficult passage. God, I pray that we would be attentive, that our ears and our hearts would be open to your word. And as tough as it might under, be to understand some of these passages, God, I pray that your spirit would help us understand and to take away um, how to glorify you even more in our daily lives. God, I just thank you and I praise you and all that we say and do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What's going on, Hype? It's good to see you all tonight. Glad to be here with you. Um, <clears throat> as you can hear, my voice has been going out the last two days. I've been having a lot of congestion and stuff, so you might have to work a little harder. To I'm going to try my best to be as loud as I can, but my voice has been going out. I just ha had a cough drop, so hopefully I won't be coughing or anything like that. But I am glad to be with you, here with you tonight. I think that maybe this is maybe my fourth or fifth time speaking at Hype since I've started EBC, and I just I love the opportunity to come and speak with you all and, and spend time with you. And, and a lot of you guys know me. I mean, I've been on, on retreats with you and spent time with you all, and so many of you know me. But if you don't know me, I, I've been serving at, at EBC for about five and a half years. Um, I came from uh, North Carolina, Arizona before that, grew up in California. So um, Kent and I have a lot in common, actually. We went to the same college at Moody Bible Institute. He, he went a lot later than I did because I'm a lot older than him. Um, but I, we, we went to the same college. Um, we also a bit are big NBA fans. Both of us love the NBA, so we were both talking about the big Kyrie trade today before we started tonight. Uh, definitely not the same team fans, though. I'm a Lakers fan. He's a Bulls fan, so different different fans. But honestly, the thing that's, that Kent and I have most in common is that we love students, and we love Jesus, and we love bringing the gospel to students. And one of the things I love about Kent that him and I are kindred spirits about is the importance of teaching Bible books to students, because we believe it's important to, to get you in God's Word. And so with our youth group right now, we're going through another one of Paul's letters, Colossians. So we're studying Colossians, and it's so interesting. I don't think it's a coincidence that the passage we talked about in Colossians is very similar and, and helps us out a lot tonight in talking about the passage from 1 Corinthians. And so I'm very thankful that you've been studying this book, and I hope that it's been helpful for you. Um, if you want to make sure and have your scripture notebooks open, we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, this evening. And so what I'd like to do is, I always like to, when I come here, is to pray for your ministry. And I, I think we definitely need to be praying for Kent and Amber, because that baby's coming anytime soon. So the due date's tomorrow, so it'll be here soon. So let, let's pray for that, and let's just, I want to pray for your ministry. So bow your heads as we go to Lord in prayer. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to, to gather in your house tonight to, to study your word. Uh, Lord, to, to have fun together, to fellowship, to worship together. Uh, Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for this church. Lord, just, I just love our partnership between our two churches and the, all the different things that we do, um, services together, trips together, and just partnering in the gospel in this community where you've placed us. So, Lord, I just pray that you continue to bless um, the, the leaders and the pastors, the elders, the leader, all the leaders of this church and the youth leaders that are here tonight and the ones that aren't here that lead this ministry. Lord, just continue to help the adults to, to pour into these students. And, Lord, I pray for the students that are in this ministry. Thank you for bringing them here tonight. Lord, you don't 
have them here by accident. And so, Lord, I pray that you will help their uh, hearts to be open to what it is that you want to speak to your word through your word. I just pray that I will step aside and that your word will go forward tonight. Lord, as we discuss a, a difficult passage to sometimes understand, Lord, I pray that we will be honest with questions and think through these things. And Lord, just speak to us through your word what it is that you want us to hear. Lord, I pray for Kent and Amber with that baby coming here soon. Lord, I just pray that you will prepare them. Uh, just help everything to go well. Help give the doctors and nurses wisdom and helping Amber as the delivery comes. And I just pray that you will help Kent and Amber to, to raise this child in a way that is honoring to you. Thank you for that opportunity that you've given them in their life. And Lord, I just pray that you'll be with this ministry, with this church. And Lord, allow our two churches to continue to partner with bringing the gospel to students and also to the, the, the whole community that you place us in in the surrounding area. Thank you for tonight. Be with us as we study. Now we pray this in great and gracious name. Amen. All right, so we'll be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. Um, so one of the things I wanted to start with tonight is, I've already mentioned it and Kent's already mentioned it, that sometimes there are Bible passages that we come across that can be difficult to understand. That they, they, they talk about things that may not fit into our culture today, that we don't see it, we don't really understand what's going on, we don't know what Paul might have meant by this. And so tonight's one of those passages where it could be a little bit difficult. But what we do with those type of passages is we're honest sometimes, that we may not have all the answers, right? We don't understand everything that's written in Scripture. But we can work hard to study it, to think through it, to ask hard questions. So I might not be able to answer every question that you have tonight about this passage in 1 Corinthians 11. But you have parents, you have Pastor Kent, you have your youth leaders that you can ask questions to to, to further in your small group time as you go home tonight. So make sure that you continue to think through this and ask questions because there's so much here that in a 30-minute, 25-minute time, we don't have time to cover it all. But I just wanted you to know that sometimes there's passages like this and we just have to work through them and work hard to, to really engage. You're going to have to engage tonight as we think through this. So does anybody remember what Pastor Kent talked about last week with 1 Corinthians 10? Could somebody just give me a brief synopsis of what you talked about? Anybody remember? Anybody remember from last week what he was talking about from 1 Corinthians 10? Look back a page. You could just, I'm not, you could, you can, you can use your notes on this exam. So did anybody remember something that you can talk about what he talked about from that last week? Victoria, right? Idols. Exactly. So last week from 1 Corinthians 10, he was discussing the idea that we are to flee from idolatry and that type of sin. And what do we do instead? If we're fleeing from idolatry, then what do we do? Instead of, of fleeing the, going towards those idols, what do we do? Because we don't just flee from the idols. What else do we do? There's, there's a good thing that we should do. If we're fleeing from idols, where do we go? What? Yeah, you go towards God, right? You, you look to bring glory to God. You look to seek him, pursue him in relationship, right? So it's important for us to remind ourselves that we flee from that idolatry. And then we pursue Christ in a relationship with him and bring glory to God through that relationship. And so that's where we were last week. And so tonight begins kind of a new section in, in Paul's writings. He, he begins to talk about um, this order of worship because I talked with our students this past week about the fact that God is a God of order. He has orders. He has ways that he created things the way he th wants things to happen. And so what he's going to do with this section of 1 Corinthians is talk about the order of Christian worship, worship services, but more so just the idea of Christian worship. And so the first thing he talks about 
is a difficult thing to talk about, which is head coverings. And so we're going to read that first section. So it was Joe, right, that was going to read. So Joe, which you, you would read um, starting in verse 2 there in chapter 11. Yep. Come on up. Because, of my because of my voice, I'm going to let some other people read Scripture tonight. So you're going to read through verse 16. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of every woman, of the woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head since that is one and the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman doesn't cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. But if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her head be covered. A man should not cover his head because he is the image of and glory of God. So too a woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. Neither was man created for the sake of woman, but woman for the sake of man. This is why a woman should have a symbol of, of authority on her head because of the angels. And the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as women came from man, so man comes through all women, and all things come from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But if that woman has long hair, is it, her, is, it is her glory. For her hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to argue about this, we have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. All right, so... Again, you're reading that passage, and you're like, what in the world is going on here? What are we talking about in this passage? And so, again, we're talking about the beginning of the idea of setting up what God has desired for worship services or, or Christian worship. And so he says in verse 2, now I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions that just as I delivered them to you. So he's speaking of traditions of the time period. He's saying, he's commending them that this is what we're doing in the churches, and I want to commend you. I want you to continue to follow these things that are going on in the church. So when we read these passages in our culture, in our time, we kind of get triggered, right? We kind of get like, what in the world is he talking about here? Why is he talking about women and their hair? Why is he talking about how they have to cover themselves and that kind of thing? So this goes back to the order from creation that God had set out for what he wanted for man and woman and for worship and those type of things. And so uh, what we have here is the term that we call headship. And so um, I want you to be, this is a hard thing to understand, but I want you to be able to get it, is that the Bible talks about how man and woman were made equally in God's image, that man and woman were both equal in God's image. When it comes to salvation, man and woman are equal. That's how the Bible says. That's what it says about those things. But one of the other things it does say about it in the scriptures you read 1 Timothy chapter 2, you read Colossians chapter 3, you read Ephesians chapter 5. It talks about how he has roles for man and woman. He has the role 
of the man to lead in the home, to lead in the church, and the woman is to submit in that. So that's what we, hear, we read about in scriptures. And so that's what he's talking about in this passage. He's talking about the idea of headship, the idea of authority, that when they are in worship, the way they did it in their culture was the woman was to wear a head covering to show that she was being submissive in worship, that the man was head, he was to lead. Now, you hear that, right? And you go, that doesn't, that doesn't work in our culture. We, we don't talk anything about that because it, it kind of sounds like it's degrading to women. But let me tell you, that's not the truth of the matter. It's not degrading to women at all. If we read in Scripture, like going back to the passages in Colossians, in Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, what does it say about the man being leadership over the woman in the home? It says the man is to love his wife like Christ loves the church. So it's a serving, sacrificial leadership. It's not a domineering and pushing and forcing and pushing the, the, the woman to do whatever he wants. It's a sacrificial, serving-type leading. That's what headship looks like. And so it says in this passage clearly, like it does in those other ones, Christ is the head of all, right? Christ is the head over everyone. In the sense of leadership in the home and leadership in the church, the man is in leadership. That's what the scriptures say over and over and over again. But again, it's us loving, serving, humble leadership and authority. So if you look in your, in your scripture notebooks there, I've kind of talked about two and three there, starting in verse four. Actually, we'll start in verse three again because I haven't finished that. But I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of the woman, like I just said. And God is the head of Christ. And then in verse 4, every man who prays or prophesies with something on his head dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonor, uh, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, since that is the one and the same thing as having her head shaved. Um, so again, what we're seeing here is, is that that head covering for the woman during that time period, during the culture of the um, the writing of this in the church in Corinth, what they would do is the woman would wear a head covering to show that the man is, has the role of headship in the home and in the church especially. We're talking about worship, so we're talking about the service. So she would wear that head covering. So we don't see that today, right? Yeah, we do see it a little bit. So if you were to attend, Mike, a Mennonite church or an AC church, or even there's a couple ladies in our church that would wear head coverings, there's some, still some few people that would live that way. But mostly in our culture, we don't see that today. So we would, we would function in different ways to show that in our worship. It might be uh, that your church only has male elders or male pastors. Um, some, some churches will only have males preaching in the, on Sunday mornings in the services or lead teaching in the Sunday school or something like that. That's the way we function in a lot of churches to show headship. We don't see the head covering as much anymore. And so what you're seeing in this passage is that what was happening during that time period was that the women would wear head coverings. Now, there's also a lot of conversation in this passage about the women's length of their hair. Again, I think it's a little bit of a cultural thing, uh, but I think the point that Paul is making in this head covering passage is, is that a woman and a man should look like a man and a woman in the culture during the time. So maybe the long hair is not necessarily fully what we would do today, but that is something that we commonly see. Now, I'm not going to judge a man. My, I mean, I'll be honest, my dad has longer hair, uh, and I know lots of, and then sometimes women will tend to have a little shorter hair. I don't really think that we have to be real legalistic about that today. But in general, 
when the culture talks about what a man should look like and what a man sh- woman should look like, if, if we're going and straying far away from that, then it's going against probably what the Bible would desire of us. And so one of the things I think is clear here is that um, what he is talking about with the head covering is a lot to do with what was going on during the culture at the time. So it wasn't necessarily that we have to come to worship today. I'm not prescribing for you or telling you that you need to come on Sunday nights or on Sunday mornings of service as a woman have to wear a head covering. It's just more of the idea that men are to lead in the home and in the church as it's prescribed in Scripture. And, and we do it and function in a different way than what they did back then, but we are, we are called to, do, to live that way. So that's what's going on in that passage. One of the things I also want to notice about this passage uh, in verse 8, it says, For man did not come from woman, but woman came from man. So he's taking this back all the way to the creation order, right? Because in the beginning, who was created first? The man. And then the woman came from the man. That does, again, that does not mean that the woman is below the man in any, any shape or form. There's still equality there. They're still equal as image, image bearers of God. They're still equal in salvation. God just has different roles for man and woman. And that's what is called here. And those roles aren't lesser. The woman's le- role is not any less than the man. It's just that it's a different one. And if we live this out in the culture today, how great of a witness will that be? Because guess what? The world looks for sameness. They want men and women to look exactly the same and do exactly the same things. And that's not healthy because that's not the way God created it. So we want to live this type of way out. That understanding that men and women are different. Not different in equality, not in different lesser in their roles. It's just different roles. And that's what God's called to. It's, it's an order. And I promise when this order is lived out, it's beautiful. And it's a great image. So again, I'm not calling women to wear head coverings tonight. What I'm calling you to is to live the way that God called you to. Men, same way. We're supposed to live out the way that God created us to. We don't have time to look at Colossians 3 or Ephesians 5 tonight, but at some point, if you want to read those passages to help you to understand more of what God's calling to us in our roles as men and women. Um, So so like the rest of that section there, um, he talks about uh, the symbol of authority on her head in verse 10. And then 11, it says, The Lord, however, women is not independent of man, and man is not independent of woman. For just as a woman came from man, so man comes through woman, and all things come from God. So again, it's going back to that created order. So again, in verse uh, 13, judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? but that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory. For hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to argue about this, we can uh, have no other custom, nor do the churches of God. So we're called here again. This, this whole passage of head coverings, this, the main point of what he's trying to get at is, is that God has an order that he desires for us to follow. And we need to represent that in a way that's a witness to the world around us and a way that brings glory to God. And so... You might have some more questions about this. Uh, it's it's very a di- very difficult passage at sometimes to think about. So I would encourage you again to talk to your parents, talk to your pastor Kent, talk to your small group leaders tonight as, as we as we discuss this more. Um, again, this passage is also hard because of the culture we live in. It's not easy to hear these words because it's very countercultural. 
The world has strayed very far away from this idea of male headship, the idea of the roles that men and women play in the home and the church. Um, these principles and these heart attitudes are not normal in the world we live in. But again, that's part of being Christian. We're not always going to live like the world. We're not always going to look like the world. In fact, we shouldn't. We should be distinct. And this is one way that we can really live that out. And I, I, I think one of the things that Pastor Kent and I have talked about is the idea of that unity and diversity. Do you know what that means? So we have different roles. We are different people, but we can still find unity in that. Because I think you've probably learned already that the Church of Corinth really struggled with unity. They were fighting each other on all kinds of different things. Probably this is one of those things. And so one of the things that you can do is despite the fact that you're different, despite the, dif the differences that you might have in your lives in this room, there's all kinds of differences that you might see that we're still able to come here and be, have unity. You know why we can have unity? Because we believe in the gospel together. Because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we love Jesus. We can be unified together. And so even if you're a man or a woman or you uh, have different backgrounds, come from different places, we can still live it out and have that unity together around the gospel. Because in a little bit, I don't want to steal the thunder of coming from 1 Corinthians 13, but 1 Corinthians 13 talks about that everything is, is, is surrounded by love. And so one of the ways that we can live this out, this idea of the head covering tonight, the idea of, of the headship and the different roles and those things, the way we can live that out is by love. So that means that just because the males have the, the different the roles of leadership in the church and the home doesn't mean that they domineer and don't lead. It's loving. And just because you're different from the person sitting next to you, you can still love them because you love Jesus. And so tonight I just want to call you to that unity and diversity as a youth group. This will be a very strong witness to the world. All right, let's move to the second section on the Lord's Supper. Uh, Victoria, were you going to come read that? Okay, so you're going to come read verses 17 through 33. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you came together, not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. In part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be fractions among you, so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together, then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So when one person is hungry while another gets drunk, don't you have homes in which to eat or drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. 
For whoever eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. If we were properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. I will give instructions about the other matters whenever I come. Everybody give Victoria a round of applause. All right, so this is a different section, but it's um, talking about an important thing that would come in the worship service of in a Christian worship. Um, and you notice that in verse 2, he said that he would praise them because he wanted them to continue to, to live out. But this one, he says, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse. And so what he goes into is talking about the idea of Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table or Communion. So that's what he's talking about here. And this is the thing that Jesus instituted for the church to celebrate his death and resurrection together. And um, one of the things I want you to see that's interesting about this is look at verse um, 19. It says, indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So it's interesting to me that he's actually saying that these divisions can be expected maybe or even needed for the church because it says there it is necessary these factions among you so those who are approved may be recognized among you so you really get a glimpse of who are those that are the leaders or those that are really true believers in the church is that you would see in that passage that are happening here and so the thing that is being a problem a division causing thing in the corinthian church is that when they come together it says they do not they among you, it says, when you come together, then it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. Don't you have homes in which you to eat and drink? Or do you not despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. And so what is going on here is that he's basically saying, you're just having a regular meal here. This, this is a worldly meal. It's not really coming to the Lord's table. And what's the problem? What's causing the division? It's basically that they are choosing who gets to have the supper and when they get to have it because of their money that they have, their economic status, or maybe it's their background, but it's, it seems mostly here that they're talking about the idea of the economic status of the person. So the, per the people are getting preferential treatment are the ones that have the higher cultural or economic status. They're being allowed to do that. So they're basically discriminating against the ones that are poorer, have lesser economic status. That's what's happening here in this passage. And um, this, it's just a very disunifying thing. And if you want to get to the heart of the issue here, this is something that we all deal with. We all strive at times that we all look to have people look at us and see us as having the cultural status, to have the money, to have the things we want. We want people to look at us and see what we have. And then, often when we do that, we look down on the people that don't have it. So we could even do that in this room. You could even do that in this very youth group. This could be a struggle for you, to where you choose 
to treat certain people within the youth ministry that maybe don't have as much money or, or aren't as popular, or maybe you choose to take, treat the people that are more popular better and give them more status and want to spend more time with them and only talk to them. We, we can do that. We can live that out. Maybe even it's not in this room. Maybe it's when you're at school or when you're hanging out with your friends that you choose the ones that have the, the more popularity, more money, the stuff that you want to have. We can often do that. And what the, the scripture is telling us tonight is that we, c- we can't do that. That's not how we live as Christians. When we step into this room, when we come to church, really and just in life as Christians, we see everybody equally. Everybody is an image bearer of God. Every person that steps into this room is coming to worship Christ with you. And so no matter where they come from, what their background is, what popularity they have, what cultural status, what money they have, none of that matters. It matters is that we have a relationship with Jesus and we come to worship together and we want to do it together, not, not worrying about our status. And so that's the problem. That's what's causing the issue. But so he talks about that, but then he goes in and shares with us about what does communion look like? What should it look like? So in verse 23, for I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread, and when he gave thanks, broke and said, this is my body, which is, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So when we take communion, what does the bread represent? You can say it out loud. What does the bread represent? It, remind, it reminds us of Jesus' broken body for us, right? And then it says in verse in, in verse 25, in the same way, we also took the cup after supper and said, this is the cup, the new covenant in my blood. Do this often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So what does the cup represent? His blood. His, the, the Jesus' sacrificial blood that he gave us on the cross. So he does this, and it says, as you often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is a good way for us to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ and remember what Jesus did for us, his sacrificial death on the cross so that we could be saved from our sins. So when you come to the Lord's table, and again, I don't know that we talk about this enough in the church, but we should not be coming to the Lord's table unless we truly have a relationship with Jesus because it doesn't really mean anything if we don't have a relationship with Jesus taking the Lord's Supper. And so it's important for us to be reminded to do that. And then he talks about examination, and I think, again, this is something we don't talk about in the church enough when it comes to taking communion. It says in verse 27, so that whenever he eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord, an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and the blood of the Lord. So we must come examining our hearts. So every Saturday night, usually, so when I was, even since I was a kid, when I knew we were going to be taking communion and Lord's Supper, I always spent some extra time praying to the Lord, for asking forgiveness for sins that I know I've committed, and really trying to examine my heart. Because it says here that it's a very serious thing if we come without examining our hearts. We need to do it in honoring a manner of the Lord. Let a, a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. Forever drinks and eats without recognizing the body, eats and drinks in judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill. If we are properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned with the world. So when we come, we come welcoming each other. It says that we are coming to examine ourselves because we are coming to a very special celebration of what Jesus has done for us. And we are doing this together as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So we examine our own hearts, and we examine our relationships with other people. So if you've sought, sinned against somebody else, if you have a broken relationship, that you go and try to remedy that before you come to the Lord's table. Because this is a honestly one of the most important things for us to do as Christians is one of the ordinances. Because we have baptism that we do one time, and then we, do, we have this one that's a continual celebration, which is the idea of communion. Because he says there, therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, you should eat at home so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. Because he's going back to saying, you need to come with the proper manner. You need to examine your heart. You need to study the word. You need to understand what you're doing here and knowing that this is for real. You don't come here uh, doing this out of just regulatory, like this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I always do. You don't do it out of, without examining your heart, and you also don't do it in a way that brings dishonor to others, to where you choose this person over that person, and this person gets uh, treatment that's better because they're rich or have cultural status or more popular. And so, again, this passage is a reminder to us of what we do in the church. This is the order of the worship. This is what we do. We talk about the head coverings. So... Um, in your scripture journals, uh, I know Pastor Kent often has you underline verses, so there's two that I want you to underline tonight. The first one is, maybe you've already done it, but verse 3, um, I want you to underline verse 3. So verse 3 says, but I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man and the man is the head of the woman, and that's the idea of, of Christ's overall headship and man's headship as the leader in the home and the church. And then the second verse I'd like you to underline is verse 16. Is that the one I had? Is that the one I told you, Kent? Do you remember what it was? I think it was 16. No, that's not the right one. I know I had another one, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, it was verse 26. 26, there it is, 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So those two things tonight were the main things that I wanted you to get out of tonight's passage. Is that first... Christ has called us to an order in this life. An order of worship, we understand, is that Christ is the head of all things, but the man, the man has the role of headship, and so we will look to function in that way, both to glorify God and to witness to the world. And then in verse 26, it helps remind us of what the Lord's Supper for is for. We're seriously taking this as a worship symbol of a way to remember what Christ did for us by dying on the cross and bringing us salvation. So we celebrate that examining our hearts and not giving treatment, special treatment to those that are, have more money or cultural status or those pop, that type of popularity. So I just want to close by saying that um, there are a lot of things in this world that will distract us from following God's order. Satan is going to try and try and try in your life to get you to move away from the order that he has directed through us as Christians and in the church. But we must stand tall. We must be a strong witness to the world. We must glorify God by following the order that he has presented to us. We might not like it all the time. We might not always understand it. But we know that God has what's best in mind for us. And so his order is best and we must follow it. So whatever we talked about tonight, whatever you think about as you go forward in 1 Corinthians, be reminded.
that God has an order for this world and for this our churches, and we need to follow it. And as Christians, we are called to glorify God in the way that we witness to the world also in the way that we follow his order. So let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for what you've taught us from 1 Corinthians. I pray as we go to our small group time that you will help us think through a few questions to help us to uh, think through um, this topic of head coverings and the Lord's Supper. Thank you for challenging us through these things. And I pray as teenagers and as adults in this room that we will desire to follow the order that you have given. Even if it doesn't fit the culture we live in, even sometimes if we don't fully understand it, we know that you're in charge. We know that you're the best, have the best in mind for us and that um, your word is our authority. So help us to stand on that. Help us to be a witness and help us to glorify your name in all the things that we do. We pray this in your great and gracious name. Amen.